want to add my welcome to you all today. It's sweet to worship together with you on this, this special day. Um, there's probably, at least it would be odd, uh, to say the least, that uh, there would be anybody here that does not have a mother. Uh, so uh, we owe our existence to God's kindness in that way to us and um, wish you all very happy Mother's Day and honor those who brought us into the world. I want to, before we begin here, uh, share with you an answer to prayer and then a, a, a request for prayer. Um, about uh, a year ago at this time, we were, it's at this time of the year when we're moving towards um, the construction of our uh, annual budget, which ends the end of June and begins the 1st of July. And, um, and so a year ago, um, we, were, we had been praying and contemplating for several weeks um, on what the next right thing for us would be. And, and um, we, we felt that the, the next right thing in the developmental organizational part of our church would be is to add a second vocational elder and... Um, uh, and that was Ryan, Ryan Chase. And the question was whether that was the right time to do it last summer. And uh, God rem- just gave, I think, remarkable faith to our our team of leaders. Uh, that planning process involved elders and deacons. And uh, um, there, there was just a, a resounding impartation of confidence that this was, this was not just the right thing to do, but it was the right time to do it, even though uh, we had enough cash on hand to pay Ryan for a year. Um, our our giving was about ten thousand dollars a month, and, and in order to have a balanced budget to keep the lights on, fixed expenditures with two salaries was going to run us about fifteen thousand dollars a month, and uh, so, so we were about five grand short per month. And we asked you to pray, and we asked you to seek the Lord with us. And, um, and, and since uh, December, I think this is right, um, we, we have been averaging pretty close to $15,000 a month. We didn't think that would happen until maybe now or June. Um, but it, it began sooner, and, and it's just increased um, in in March, we, we had a, a, a $16,000 month, and, and in April was an $18,000 month. And so the answer to prayer is that God has supplied everything that we needed and more uh, to do what we believed he was calling us to do. So, so praise God with us for that. Um, it's just been a, a sweet and remarkable evidence of God's kindness, goodness, and answers to your prayer. As we move forward into the planning pro- uh, process now for our completing the planning process for our 2018-2019 budget and we're seeking what the next right thing is with a, a small church and, and um, you know there's limitations but, but this is all part of God's developmental process in this church organization we've been asking what the next right thing to do is again and, and, it, and it has seemed to us that um, if, if we had the margin, um, it would be really useful to us to have um, dedicated office space that, that Ryan and I could share 
and plus meeting area for, for our biblical counseling appointments. That th- this space has served us well, and our relationship with um, Sioux Falls Christian School remains positive, for which we're thankful. But, but that seems like the next thing. And, and again, that, would, that will require um, uh, additional income and uh, um, just more wisdom, more provision, more discernment for the, for the months to come. So that, that's what we're asking you to join us in praying for yet again, is that the Lord would grant us this kind of uh, clarity of, of uh, wisdom in, in knowing how to lead the church forward and then the provision to, to fulfill that. So I just want to thank you all um, for being so generous-hearted, and um, these are really encouraging days to us. It's it's just been the um, a, a real sweet time. I always say it, but just the, the sweetest thing has been seeing this church come to life, come into being, and uh, and that life expanding and multiplying and growing, and a mission being fulfilled and realized. So um, thank you. And please join us in prayer for all that. All right. I want to invite you to turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, these are the last three sermons um, in this sweet letter. Um, Today, next Sunday, and then on on Memorial Day weekend, um, Rick Gamash, our regional pastor, is going to be with us and he's going to wrap this this uh, focus up on the book of Philippians, and so we're looking forward to having Rick here. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, the Apostle Paul is addressing a universal condition, what we know and experience as anxiety. And in this particular section, Paul is giving particular counsel and as a skillful seasoned physician of the soul inspired by God trained by God empowered by God Paul presents us with an effective antidote to that really it's a chronic condition that each and every one of us more or less to one degree or another day in and day out tends to face namely Anxieties. And last week, Joel Carlson opened up for us Paul's instruction in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Paul continues this theme and his counsel in verses 8 and 9. So we're going we're to explore God's prescription for treating anxiety in the life of a disciple of Jesus. So ask you to follow along. I'm going to read this. I'm going to begin back in verse 4 because that's where the section starts and we'll go through verse 9. So please follow along. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God. Join me in prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh. On us. Incline our hearts, direct our hearts and desires and wills to God's Word. Pray that you would melt us and mold us, that you'd fill us and that you'd give us life in our souls. Pray that you would make your presence and your power manifest upon us, among us, with sweet fruit that you produce and manifest and discernible gifts that you give freely, graciously for the strengthening of of your church. So strengthen this church. Strengthen Emmaus Road Church and our spiritual community, our experience of being joined to you and joined to one another. Help us, Lord. Help us. And I would pray specifically that where there are anxious minds, anxious thoughts, anxious hearts, anxious circumstances that by your grace, by your power, for your glory, for the joy and the peace of your people, cause those things to diminish discernibly in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this text, Paul means for us to know that God cares deeply about the experience of anxiety in the life of a disciple of Jesus. God cares about your cares. And Paul also means for us to find help, real help, effective help from God in facing anxiety through the power of the gospel. And further... 
in directing us to God's care and to God's antidote, Paul is seeking, I believe, to to stir us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to avail ourselves to these sweet and really supernatural means by which our experience of anxiety might discernibly diminish. So, the, the first thing to recognize is that God is absolutely fully aware of our various and manifold anxieties. God is passionately concerned about our multifaceted and complicated anxieties. And God is practically and actively at work on our behalf in order to diminish our daily, sometimes just garden variety, sometimes overwhelming and soul-crushing anxieties. We know this because each exhortation, each imperative in this text is grounded with God's promise of peace. God promises peace. Look again at verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, this is the promise, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is God's promise to us. So when you find yourself anxious about anything, the the first place you turn is to God. And why? Because if you express your trust, your reliance upon God through prayer, God promises that His peace, the very peace, think of this, the very peace that God feels. This is not just peace that comes leaking out from God. This is the peace of God. The very peace that God feels will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You say it another way. If you trust that, that Dr. God knows your condition, that is, he, he knows and understands the substance and the cause of your anxiety, that Dr. God understands your condition, has seen your condition countless times, over and over and over, then based on your trust in good and wise Dr. God, that is, you accept, you, you admit your cares, you admit your concerns to Him, He will act. He will act. God will cause His peace, that is the very peace that God feels, 
He'll set it up. This peace will set up a protective perimeter around your thoughts and your feelings. Thoughts, perspectives, ways of looking at things. They're all like they're like artillery and airstrikes against our faith. And after after these kind of tangled thoughts and sometimes dark, sometimes tinted, sometimes untrue thoughts, they've softened the beachhead of our souls, then the invasion force of troubled emotions comes in, assault, wave after wave. But because God cares, God promises protection. When I was a... um, a sophomore in college at Bethel. My Bethel folk. Bethel used to be Bethel College, now Bethel University. Um, as a sophomore, I found myself um, experiencing something I'd never experienced before. Um, I found myself experiencing unusual, uh, unexplainable, at least not discernible to me, <laughs> Um, unexplainable anxiety. And uh, I, I, like I said, I'd never felt this way before. Um, it started kind of late in the fall with waves of sort of um, strange but strong emotions. And if you would have asked me what I was anxious about, I don't think I could have put my finger on anything. I couldn't have, I couldn't have told you. I, I was fine physically. I was doing fine, not great, but fine academically. I was involved with meaningful extracurricular activity, maybe too much. Um, I was involved, uh, I had a, a great roommate. Um, we got along well together. Nevertheless, I, um, I felt, like I said, I, I, it, it it seemed irrational, uh, irrational yet very tangible anxiety, as well as um, a helpless inability to manage it, to kind of control it. And, um, and because my parents, uh, I believe, it was because they had cultivated very sweet, emotional attachment and relationship with me. I felt inclined, free, to safe to tell them about it, tell them about my experience. I, I think part of it was maybe motivated by the fact that I, I did have a cousin who was just a few years older than me who um, I, I knew, I was aware, had had, uh, she had had a, a complete nervous breakdown. And um, she'd been institutionalized. Um, she'd been this beautiful, what I would have thought was just quite normal person, and just boom, she just totally lost it. And uh, her husband divorced her because of her mental illness. And I think that kind of reality in the back of my mind, sort of, you know, the front of my mind, intensified my feelings somewhat. You know, it scared me to consider maybe that. There was some familial dynamic to my my experience, and so um, so I saw a physician, and uh, 
this physician recommended that I take an antidepressant. And in those days, um, the D word and taking medications for managing one's emotions had a particular stigma about it, and that kind of freaked me out a little bit more, and so I kind of passed on that prescription. And instead, instead, I prayed. And, and man, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I called on the Lord, and I would read my Bible and I bought the Navigator's Bible memory verse packets, and I memorized stacks of verses. And, and it was about, about, for about six months, I just, I just battled this out. And about the time, the same time that winter came to an end, um, there was a girl that I'd been seeing. Um, she dear johned me and uh, dumped me, broke my heart. And, uh, and then spring happened, um, and I went home for the summer, and I went fishing. And besides an occasional bout with melancholy, because that's my temperament type, um, and occasional bouts with what I and others have named the black dog, kind of this low-level depression, and occasional situations and circumstances when my, I recognize that my personal desires are frustrated, and in the frustration accompanying my you know, obstacles to what I want when I want it, um, self-pity arising, occasions of hyperactive desire to feel good about myself, when, when, when those things kind of rear their heads, and they still rear their head, rears their heads on occasion, in spite of all that, I have lived the majority of my life relatively unscathed. I mean, other than that one really hard time, and, and then a few other low points in my life when I kind of thought, okay, well, this is it, you know, I'm done, you know, we're done, we're done, this is it. Um, Unscathed. When I look back to that particular season of my life, I, I feel gratitude to God for His sustaining grace. I, I learned something going through that. And what I learned was um, a deep, important lesson that in my day of trouble, in my fears, in times when it seemed as though control over circumstances, control over thought patterns, control over powerful emotions was slipping through my fingers and by God's grace, I developed a habit. I developed the habit of turning to Christ, calling to Christ, casting myself on Christ, and pleading the promises purchased by the blood of Christ. And God would keep his promise. And peace would eventually come. Now that's just my experience. But it's powerful to me. 
What intensifies the power of Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 is that God intensifies his communication and affirmation of care by repeating his promise. He repeats it. Now look at verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And if you do, if you trust the doctor's prescription, you see, you see, we're not earning anything here. We're not meriting anything here. This is all faith. If you trust the doctor's prescription and you do these things, then the God of peace will be with you. See that? Two promises. Two sides of one coin. The peace of God will guard you. The God of peace will be with you. This is exceedingly powerful in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Think of it this way. Is God ever anxious? Is God ever overwhelmed? Is God ever fearful or frustrated? We've got to think about this. God is never anxious. God is never fearful. God is never frustrated. Why is that? The reason that God is never anxious, never fearful, never frustrated is because God always, always does exactly what He pleases when he pleases, in the way he pleases. Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Isn't that the reason that Paul can say that the peace that God feels surpasses our understanding? God never feels anxiety. He never, he never gets frustrated because His purposes are never frustrated. Just try to get your head around that. Reality it is not the reason we feel anxious about things because we are unable to do what we please. Have what we please. When we please. However we please. The, the points when, when we feel anxiety and fear is because it's at those points where we just don't know how things are going to turn out. We don't know if they're going to work the way we would like them to work. The when we want them to. And each and every time we are faced with a situation or a circumstance over which 
we realize that we have little or no control, we feel the absence of peace. We feel anxious. But you see, God doesn't face those kind of limitations. He's God. That's what it means to be God. And therefore, whatever He pleases, He does, and therefore He never feels anxious. Look at Isaiah 46, verse 10. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Isaiah 14.24 The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. And therefore, God is never faced with the uncertainty that things will turn out anyway other than the way He wants them to be. God never wrings His hands in worry over an outcome. And therefore, God is not anxious. But rather, God is always comfortable. And God is always at peace with Himself and with the way things are. And this is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.11 describes, he describes the content of, of his preaching as the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Or to say it another way, what Paul proclaimed is that he proclaimed the good news the good news of the glory of the happy God. Just think about that. Our God feels joy, invincible joy, serious, indomitable joy at being God at all times. And so, fundamentally, at the root, the root cause of all of our anxiety is namely our inability to do whatever pleases us, whenever it pleases us. Our, our experience of the absence of peace, our experience of interrupted joy, is in direct relation to things simply not working out in conformity with the purpose of our will. Anxiety was introduced into this world at the moment that Adam and Eve said, we'll decide now for ourselves what is right and wrong. Joylessness, fear, absence of peace entered the reality of history at the point our ancestors said in the same way that each time we say, I'll be God. I'll be God. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want. But sooner or later, we all recognize that we're not God. There are a lot of things, uh, for more or less for some of us, things that we cannot determine their outcome. 
And the result is fear, fear that things aren't going to happen how we want them, when we want them. And it is that impulse woven into the substance of our nature that requires nothing less than divine redemptive intervention to change. But into that broken and rebellious impulse, I'm going to do what I want, when I want. God speaks this double, life-giving promise. The peace of God. The peace that God feels in being God. The peace that God feels in doing whatever pleases Him. That very peace, think of this, it surpasses understanding. That that very peace is the peace that God imparts to set up this protective perimeter around our thoughts and hearts. And the God of peace will be with you. That is stunning. And to top it off, because you see, this is not all, to anchor it, to tether it, to seal it with a guarantee that can never be broken, Paul says, that the nearness of God will be yours, the peace of God will be yours in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, peace and joy are not grounded, obviously, in our temperaments or circumstances or techniques. This peace, This peace is grounded in something else. This diminished anxiety and supernatural peace are grounded in the gospel. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises, including the promise of God's peace and God's nearness, all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Loved ones, in stunning mercy, And in steadfast and unfailing love, God cares about your experience of anxiety. While we were still sinners, hell-bent on being God ourselves, God made Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus who lived every day of His life in the flesh in humble trust in His Father's goodness and wisdom and love. God made this Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, by faith in Him, in union with Him, we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be counted as humble and selfless and God-reliant and pure and true and commendable. And that we might know and experience in our hearts and minds and souls the very peace the very peace that God feels. Jesus died on the cross so that in Him we might have that peace and that joy and that security of knowing that God, that God's not just working things out in conformity to the purpose of His will, but also working things out together for the good and the eternal well-being of those who are called according to His unthwartable purpose. in Christ. 
And so why are we anxious? <laughs> well, the root of all anxiety is unbelief and rejection of God being God. What's the hardest thing to accept about God being God? Is it facing the hard fact that I can't have what pleases me when it pleases me and He can? Or is it believing that God uses all things, even things that in my limited perspective and framework perceive as evil or wrong to make things good? Or is it that God's favor toward His people is not contingent upon our performance of faith, but rather upon reliance on His mercy? Friends, the first step toward peace and joy and diminished anxiety is is turning and repenting of asserting our own lordship and instead trusting and relying on God alone to be God alone. And in Christ, God began this good work in you. In Christ, God will complete this good work in you. And in between the beginning and the completion God in Christ is working for you and not against you. And He promises peace. And this encourages us to go forward. And we press on. And as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we work out, we work out this peace and joy by faith trusting that God is always at work in us. But what does this working out of our joy and peace look like? What are the anxiety-diminishing works which God calls us to lean into? If we trust Dr. God, what is his prescription which we must obey for diminishing anxiety? And last week, of course, Joel Carlson pointed us to the direct relationship that there is in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 between expressing our reliance upon God in prayer to God and our experience of peace, the very peace of God. In verses 8 and 9, Paul points us to two more. Two more works produced by faith. And the first has to do with what we think. It has to do with our thinking. So just as there is a direct relationship between our experience of the peace of God and our prayer to God, there's also a direct and discernible relationship between what we are feeling and what we are thinking. A few weeks ago at the um, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors Discipleship Training, um, Brad Bigney 
uh, gave a lecture on emotions and the issues of life. And I, I believe he, he, he gets this right. He, he, he observed, he, he said, our feelings do not erupt out of a vacuum. Our feelings flow out of our thinking. So there's the connection, right? The feeling of anxiety is directly related to what we're thinking. The Apostle Paul knew that. That's why he says in, in verse 8, Philippians 4, 8, Finally, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. This is what you should be thinking about. Now, <laughs> at first glance, Paul, Paul's command there, it, it may seem frustrating, uh, may feel overwhelming, especially if you're feeling anxiety. I mean, giving comprehensive attention, whatever, 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 giving comprehensive attention to this comprehensive list seems like more than a finite and anxiety-prone mind can do. How do you do that? When one is battling anxiety, it feels like, it feels like our minds have been taken captive. And our minds have been taken captive unless unless God is at work in you, both to will and to think according to His good purpose. In Christ, God is at work in you. He's at work in you. And if He's at work in you, then you are empowered by the very life of, that raised Jesus from the dead. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, you are then able to take every thought captive to obey Christ. You may feel like your emotions have been taken captive, but in Christ, the truth is, is that you have the power in Christ to take your thoughts captive. In union with Christ, the Spirit of Christ is discernibly manifest by producing the very character of Christ. That's what Paul means in Galatians 5.22 when he says, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit's activity and work is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So in Christ, work out your Salvation with awe and reverence and wonder by thinking. It's not an unsolvable mystery that anxiety is directly related to unbridled, unguarded, unreasonable, unwise, untrue, unjust, impure, dark, ugly thoughts. Somebody sent me a comic there's these two Russians by the seashore, and uh, you know the, one of them is out in this boat, and this boat is taking in water, and, 
and uh, he's flailing his arms, and he shouts to the other guy on the shore. He says, I'm sinking, I'm sinking. And the other Russian guy on the shore shouts back, what are you sinking about? What are you thinking about? One way you can tell that your soul is in danger is if all you ever pray about is what you want God to do for you. Our, our souls are manifestly impoverished if our relationship with the Lord is simply utilitarian and void of simple adoration and gratitude and thoughts of, of sweet manifestations of His glorious grace. And so make it a habit to think holy thoughts. This is hardly a you know, a massive habit, but still a tangible habit in my life that one day a week, one day a week, and it's Thursdays. Now, it's gonna be, this is going to sound really sophisticated, I realize, but Thursdays, Thanksgiving. Thursdays, Thanksgiving. On Thursdays, I intentionally seek to abstain as much as possible from making petitions to God and instead focus my attention on thanking and praising God for evidences in and around my life of the active presence and power of God. So, for instance, this past Thursday, and I'm always amazed by this, but Caleb prayed Psalm 103. Last week I was, I was reading Psalm 103, 104, 105. The psalmist begins these psalms by talking to himself. This is important. He's talking to himself rather than listening to himself. So when we're listening to ourselves that we get in trouble. He's talking to himself. We feel anxious, I think, typically when we're listening to ourselves. So he talks to himself and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And that word blessed, of course, translates happy, happy, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's the the Old Testament way of saying, Rejoice in the Lord, soul. Always. Again, say, rejoice. Rejoice, soul. And then after this self-exhortation by the psalmist to feel joy and to feel peace in God, he then recounts all these manifestations, manifestation after manifestation of all the benefits and the kindnesses and the good works of God in his own life and in his body and his circumstances. Psalm 104, he does the same things. He's he's looking around and he sees creation, God's works in, in all that he's made and the God's works and redemption and salvation, this beauty of God's kindness and provision and all things to be enjoyed. He's thinking, actively thinking. He's actively thinking, not just by thinking, but he's writing these things down and recording them in his song. That's what I do on Thursdays. My Moleskine notebook has got pages of things that I'm thankful for. Thanking God for green and birds singing and 
the, the beauty of people that I can think of that are just growing up into Christ. Beauty of people's emotional maturity getting stronger. The beauty of, of, of childhood. The beauty of, beauty of getting old. The beauty of brokenness. Brokenness is beautiful as a backdrop to redemption. It's beautiful. And shoot, now I, I, I'm thinking about the... I can, can't stop thinking about the beauty of, of my granddaughter. I, I just absolutely fell in love. And boom, just like that yesterday. And I'm undone. There's no end to the glories of what God's doing. Shoot, I mean, she could have a dirty diaper and it would be spectacular. <laughs> Write it down. This is what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Pursue peace in God. Pursue joy in God by thinking. Thinking. (laughs) We just cannot say things like, you know, I don't know how to meditate. We can't say things like, I don't feel like meditating. Depressed people, anxious people, they meditate all the time. It just comes natural. It's all they do, mulling over and over and over all the woes and disappointments and frustrated desires and obstacles to what they want and how they want it and when they want it. It is so discouraging of a thing to, to, to think so deeply and passionately to desire to be God. I'm going to be God only to realize that you're not. What are you thinking about? And what does this say, I guess, about the hours and hours of attention that we give to television and gaming and all, the, all these other things? Act the miracle and resolve with God's help to think holy thoughts. Changes everything. And then Paul counsels us to, secondly, do. Do. Think and do. Paul's antidote to anxiety involves more than the work of thinking. It also involves the work of being doers of the word. Again, it, again Brad Bigney, it, I like this guy. Um, you should listen to him. Read his book. Just another phrase from his lecture a few weeks ago. He says... He says, you can do your way into feeling much easier than feeling your way into doing. You hear the wisdom in that? You can do your way into feeling much easier than feeling your way into doing. Oh, man, is that true. You're waiting to feel before you do. You're waiting quite a while. Do your way into feeling. This is consistent with Paul's exhortation in Philippians 4 verse 9. What you have practiced, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and then the peace of God will be with you. You'll feel it. You'll sense it. You'll experience it. There are things that you need to do. Commands you must obey. 
whether you feel like it or not. That's what it means to be a grown-up. That's what it means to act the miracle. I'm gonna, I want to share one more Brad Bigney quote. That's a fun name to say. Brad Bigney. This one's a little bit longer. But, but listen to this. Over a period of time, if someone continues to think, emote, and act in the same way in any given circumstance, it becomes a habit and can become rooted in them so that it becomes a part of their character. It now characterizes them. For example, I've, I've adjusted this part here a little bit to, to serve our purposes, but he says, everyone has felt anxious on occasion, but some people could be characterized as an anxious man or an anxious woman. They, they stay anxious. It's who they are. They get in a rut and it is very difficult for them to not go right down that same path without even thinking. One event, one event will trigger them, and they're on their way. They think, and they feel, and they begin to act the same way they did the last time, all in one short moment. To go that direction requires little or no effort on their part, and to try to do otherwise will feel so hard that they will exclaim, I can't do differently. It's just how I am. I cannot change. For the Christian, this is never true. The Christian can change. But it will be hard work. It will be hard work. But for disciples of Jesus, in whom God is working, working in you to will, to desire, working in you to work for his good pleasure, God, God is working in us. He's working in us. And he's working in us together. Together in spiritual community to will, and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see, this is, this is significant. Every exhortation in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, is made to the spiritual community. It's made to the whole group together. It's made to us in relationship together. All of you, plural, together. All of you, rejoice in the Lord, always. All of you, plural, brothers and sisters, together. Think about these things. Think together. All of you, plural, together. Practice these things. Keep on thinking. Keep on practicing. We were never meant to take God's antidote for anxiety all alone. Healing, growth, transformation, sanctification happen in gospel-powered community. So take heart again. Take heart, weary, fearful, anxious Christian. God has not left you without a remedy. 
And God is at work in you at this very moment, working for His good pleasure, shaping your will, shaping your desires so that you can do all that He has called you and commanded you to do so that you might feel the peace and the invincible joy, the peace of God, the invincible joy of God that you need to persevere with faith until He comes. Let's pray. promises that you have made in this text, O Lord, are astonishing. They surpass understanding. To to feel the very peace that you feel in never being thwarted in your intentions and objectives. To be joined into that peace. That's a game changer. And though we recognize that we will not know and experience the fullness of that, the completeness of that until the last day, We anticipate, we're trusting that these are not just future promises, but they are present promises. And there is a measure of the peace that you feel, the invincible joy that you have that is ours in Christ Jesus today. Even if it's just a crumb from your table, From, from infinite changes things. So I would ask, O oh Lord, for your glory, the glory of the gospel, the glory of the gospel that guarantees the promises and your trustworthiness to your people. I pray for crumbs from your table that would, for anxious hearts and souls and minds, be calming. Be anxiety diminishing. Be healing. Where there have been habitual patterns of thinking away. Break in. Break in, dear God. Break in, Holy Spirit of God. How will the world know that we're any different than anybody else unless it is your active presence and power? that is with us, active among us, producing fruit, producing faith, producing life, producing strength and soundness of heart and soul. Show us your glory, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.